Welcome everyone, you're listening to The Hive Podcast. I'm Vince and I'm here today with Alistair. Uh, he is the Executive Director of Audioverse and also the Financial Planner at Advent Edge Financial. Now, um, Alistair has been on the show previously and we have a little bit talked about his story, uh, how his missional business looks like. And um, today we want to dive into the topic of money in more depth. We want to find out what it means uh, uh, to have a re- healthy relationship with money uh we're gonna answer some tough questions some really interesting questions like can i be a millionaire and also be a faithful seventh-day adventist christian um find out on this episode of uh, hives podcast Now, Alistair, we have been talking about two extremes um, that we find in today's society, especially in Christianity. There is this one extreme called what we all know, the prosperity gospel, right? Uh, That you uh, get blessed by God once you uh, commit his life to him, that you can drive the fancy car and have the big house. And, 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 you know, uh, this part, this picture that a lot of us know. um, But then there is also another extreme that you call the the poverty gospel um, that kind of like, uh, you know, I, I have have to be a, a um, kind of a poor missionary so that people think that I'm actually a faithful uh, Christian. Now, um, the Bible has something to say about this topic, actually a lot to say about the topic of money. Um, but I wanted to ask you, when we look at those two extremes, how did we end up like that? How do we, why do we have these two extremes in, in the world today? Yeah, excellent question. And Really, when we think about the prosperity gospel, it's similar to how the Jews viewed spiritual favor back in Jesus' day, right? You remember they assumed that the rich people and the wealthy, they were more favored of God. But then Jesus said it is more difficult for a rich man to, uh, for a camel, or, or easier rather, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there are other statements in the book of James where rich men are being condemned. There are many statements. Uh, that that give the impression that Jesus was against wealth and that the Bible is against any form of wealth. And I think we as human beings, we have this natural inclination to sort of swing to the extremes. And so while there is the extreme of the prosperity gospel, it's like if we are faithful to God, the evidence of God's favor on us is that he's going to pour out, you know, material wealth and all these things. Uh, we might be repulsed and automatically swing to the other extreme and say, therefore, all wealth is bad, or at least, you know, something approximating that kind of view. So I do think there is some justification for how people end up uh, thinking this way, because after all, you know, a lot of the Christians in the early church, they didn't have a whole lot and they were sacrificial. And Jesus himself said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The foxes have their dens and the birds have their nests and things like that. However, if we take a broader view of scripture, we have to remember that uh, a lot of the early Christians, you know, the early Christian church was funded by wealthy individuals. And even Paul himself, he was an entrepreneur. He had a, he had a business. He was making a product uh, and he, <clears throat> to, to fund his own ministry. And so there's something to be said about, um, you know, enterprise and being industrious. And then we also, within Adventist history, we can think about places like Madison, 
where they have very successful and thriving industries that were legitimate businesses. And they were on, you know, they were innovating a lot of stuff like health food and different techniques and, and uh, various things that they were doing. So it was, it's within the Avon's DNA really to be entrepreneurial and to think beyond just having a lot of money for the sake of having money, but also not necessarily being uh, extremely poor uh, for the sake of having an appearance, right? So there is, there is that idea. Now, there is a saying that, you know, money can't buy happiness. I think that is something that is helpful to keep in mind, but I'll also add the addendum to that. Money can't buy happiness, but neither can poverty. So gotta, gotta remember the balance between those two things. And oh, and the last thing really related to that is from the, in, from the Bible. So the last uh, verse here is Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight. The Bible tells us sort of the, the middle ground, give us, give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is needful for me. So it, this idea is in scripture. Like, I don't want to be rich so that I forget God. I don't want to be so poor that I'm tempted to steal, right? Or to be covetous. I want to have enough, right? And that's really the state, to have enough uh, to pr provide for my family, enough to give to God's word generously, and to have the spirit of contentment. I think that's a very healthy and important balance. Um, now, when we think about the balance, when we think about money, we think about acquiring wealth. I know we have talked a little bit about how to save money, how to acquire uh, wealth or to, uh, to invest. Uh, you've been sharing some resources in the past. Um, I was wondering, can I be a faithful Seventh-day Adventist, right? Um, Missionary-minded and also at the same time be a millionaire. What do you think? That is a loaded question, okay? <laughs> but an excellent question. And I think it's one of those taboo questions that everybody has rumbling in the back of their minds, but they're just afraid to say it because what will other people think if I say that? But let's just address it, right? So I wanna share a couple of quotes with you, all right? That might blow your mind or your listener's mind. So the first quote is in Evangelism, page 239, and this is Ellen White writing this, okay? She writes, oh, sometimes I wish I had a million dollars. I could use every dollar in this work. Ellen White herself said that. And if you read the full context of the statement, she was hoping she wanted to actually give jobs to people who were losing their jobs over the Sabbath. So she's saying, I wish I could have a business enterprise to employ all of these people that are being uh, losing their jobs and livelihoods because of standing up for truth and conviction. This, this should get every Adventist entrepreneur kind of excited, right? So, you know, Ellen White herself at some point wanted to, to you know, was, was wishing that she had a million dollars. So clearly it's not the dollar figure that's the problem, right? Like having a million dollars, money is just pieces of paper or digits on a screen. Really, it's the issue of the spirit. And as, as you guys uh, frequently talk about is uh, knowing the why, why of having that money. And I just want to throw out a couple other statements here. There is uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Uh, this is God. He says, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. The ability to get wealth is from God. To make it even clearer, uh, Councils on Stewardship, page 133, or actually, uh, I guess I'll read that one too. It says, the followers of Christ are not to despise wealth. They are to look upon wealth as the Lord's entrusted talent. So we are to despise it. We are to grow it. And then this last one is Review and Herald, March 1, 1887. 
the desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection of our nature implanted there by our heavenly father for noble ends. So this, these are some balancing statements to the other ones that we frequently think about, like, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, you know, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Like sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Like, don't worry about tomorrow, right? Like we, we have all those statements, but we also have these other statements where God is saying the inclination and the aptitude that God has placed within us to build wealth, it's from him. Like he gave that ability and that desire to us. And the reason is why, right? That's the question. Why does he do it? Just like Ellen White, why does she want a million dollars? It's not for herself. It's to benefit the work and to advance God's work. So to be a faithful Seventh-day Adventist and a millionaire, I find that there is no question that that is possible. In fact, um, I, I will say, having been a uh, you know leader of a ministry where you know, we collect donations. Our ministry is only possible because there are generous, successful Adventist missionary entrepreneurs or business people or what professionals who uh, have the spirit of the Lord has blessed them with means and they're going to use it for him. I'm going to mention one other thing. Okay. This is, this is now very strictly a financial planning sort of uh, nuts and bolts type of discussion. And that is, you know, a million dollars today is not the same as a million dollars back in Ellen White's day because of this thing called inflation, right? A dollar, you know, goes down in value, right? Every time, you know, inflation goes up, the price of goods go up and the purchasing power of the dollar goes down. So eventually a million dollars is going to be like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars today, right? Should time last. So, you know, let's not get hung up on the actual dollar figures, right? Um, you know, if today Ellen White were to say the same quote, she might have said, oh, that I had a billion dollars, right? Right. It's not the dollar amount. It's the, you know, the spirit behind it. And one thing to also think about is, you know, when people think about financial independence, you know, there is this thing called the 4% rule. And so just to, for comparison, the idea is that for a general well-balanced portfolio of investments, you can withdraw 4% to live on in retirement for like a roughly 30 year retirement. And so a million dollars, 4%, that's $40,000 a year that you can live off of based on that, um, you know, that nest egg, if you want to call it that. So, you know, if you put it in frame it like that, a million dollars translate into a $40,000 per year lifestyle, at least here in the United States, $40,000 per year lifestyle is fairly modest. We're not talking about extravagant, lavish living, right? So, you know, there are different ways, different perspectives to look at this, uh, but hopefully that gives us some, you know, some principles, some perspective. Uh, I, I certainly don't see a problem with uh, Adventists being millionaires. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important that we address this uh, question, but also have this very Bible-based answer that you were giving me. And, and so I appreciate that. And I think that um, a lot of times we just... Um, we don't see the spirit behind it. We just look at, like you say, we look at the number uh, or the numbers, right? And we look at the checks. We look at the uh, 
you know, the cash or whatever it is. And, and we don't know what's behind it. We don't know the spirit that this person has. And obviously, there can be a right spirit. It can be a wrong spirit. How are we actually dealing with uh, this amount that God gave us? Uh, the same way how we were talking about the stewards in, 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 in this parable, right, in Matthew 25. How What was their spirit? Like, how did they t- um, really treat the money that their Lord was uh, giving them? Now, uh, after the short break, we're going to talk about how a good relationship with money really should look like uh, as a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, how we can keep this balance and how we can make sure we are on a on a on the safe the Bible side, if I can call it like that. So uh, stay with us. Hi, everyone. Um, We want to talk about a good relationship with money. Now, we've been talking about um, being a millionaire uh, as an Adventist. um, But now, Alistair, I want to ask you, how does a good relationship with money look like? Um, What would you practically uh, say? um, What should we take care of? Yeah, excellent question. And I just want to mention one thing real quick. When we talk about being a millionaire, it's talking about the net worth of the individual. So assets minus liabilities equals $1 million or more. We're not talking about a million dollar salary, okay, or earning a million dollars per year. I think that those are two very different things. So it's just, just to get that clear. So back to your question, uh, what does a healthy relationship with money look like? You know, there are a lot of different ways to answer this question. You can get real quantitative. You know, you talk about the balance between your cash flow and your debt and the debt and asset ratio and all these types of things. But I think more on a spiritual, you know, level, we can just ask ourselves, how much do we think about money every day? Right. And when we, when the money topic comes up, what is our emotional response to it? Cause I think that tells a lot about uh, where we are. We all know the Bible verse for the love of money is the root of all evil, right? That's the problem is the love of money. So it's our response to money. And so we have to ask ourselves that question. Do I think about money all the time? Does it keep me up at night? Does it make me feel angry or fearful or fretful or stressed out? Or does it make us feel greedy? Does it make us feel like it's never enough? Does it make us feel covetous, right? This is the fundamental issue that I think a lot of people uh, mistake for the problem of being wealthy. It's not so much the dollar amount in your bank account that's the problem. It's this attitude that's the problem. So I think we've all kind of seen it, right? Like there can be people that don't have much, but they're sort of clingy and like they're grabby, like they go through potluck and they're like taking so much because, you know, they're trying to, you know, save money or whatever. Like there's this attitude of greediness that's possible even when we don't have much. And that, I hate to say it, is still at its root, a love of money. It's that covetous, greedy spirit. And so a healthy relationship with money is to have this healthy emotional relationship to it. It's to be able to say, I have enough, right? I'm content. 
Um, I'm, I, I have my budget, right? These are the practical things. The budget is in order. My debt is under control. I'm saving for my future, you know, for my kids or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm providing for my family. I have a stable career. I'm, I'm supporting God's work. Like there are these sort of basic building blocks that we can talk about. But once those things are in place and we can just live life um, without worrying about money, I think that's a healthy place to be. To use the, 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 the physical health analogy again. If we are healthy physically, how much do we think about our physical health, right? Like we're not walking around thinking, oh, my back. Oh, I can't breathe. Oh, my head hurts. Like when our health is in order, like when we have a healthy body, we don't think about it. <laughs> we just live life. And uh, that's how the money, um, the healthy relationship with money really ought to be as well. Wow. Excellent answer. I, I really appreciate that. And I think it solves a lot of uh, problems that we might think we have in our mind, you know, when we think about this topic. And uh, now the, the next question I was thinking about, do you think it gets worse? Like your personal um, take on this, like, do you think the temptation gets worse when you have a higher net worth? Or do you think it's kind of the same? No, I do think there is a, there is something to that. Um, I, I, I want to be balanced here, right? The Bible in Proverbs 30, verse 8, it's giving, give me neither poverty nor riches. And verse 9, actually, together with that, it talks about there are risks on both ends of the extremes. This is the biblical approach. If I'm rich, I can, like, I have need of nothing, right? That's the Laodicean problem. I am rich and increased with goods. That is a, a temptation. So, yes, I think there is a higher likelihood of, of, you know, the risk of forgetting God in that scenario. But neither should we neglect that it is very easy to be tempted when we have very little because we're suffering, right? And so, you know, when do like parents might be actually willing to go out and steal food if their baby is hungry, right? Like we can understand that doesn't make it right, but we can also see that that is a danger as well. And so I think there is the spirit also within our society, particularly the mainstream media and, you know, a lot of the news that is being piped in, we are told rich people are the villains, right? Like we need to, you know, hate the rich people because they're taking so much. And then, you know, there are other people that say the poor people are so bad or, or some people might, you know, flip, flip the script the other way. And so we have, you know, voices that sort of push us to, to the extremes. But um, this is why I think we, the, the biblical perspective is knowing when it, what's enough, right? When enough is enough. And then to develop the spirit of contentment, because that's actually the quote from from Paul. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I have abounded. I have been abased. I have plenty. I have been in poverty. Like in all states, I have learned to be content with what God has given to me. So I think that's the, the attitude that we ought to have. Hmm. I like that. I want to expand on that verse uh, that you just quoted because um, I was thinking about some practical habits that we can implement in our day-to-day -day life to be, to have that good relationship with money, to be, uh, to have this emotional uh, kind of stable relationship or emotionally stable relationship. I mean, um, uh, how can I stay content with what I have or, or just with, with the, the current state that I'm in? Yeah. You know, there are, some of it is, some of it is just getting perspective. Um, and I think being in mission work, like traveling to other countries, uh, I think that helps a lot, you know, being 
actively in service to other people who are less fortunate than you are, it gives you this perspective like, you know what, life could be a lot worse. And God has given me what I have uh, that you know I need to help other people with. I think that for one, and again, this is where the Adventist worldview really flows in and, and makes an impact. The other thing is also, I think, this is my financial planner, putting on my financial planner hat, and that is having a good grasp of your actual financial position. So do you even know what your net worth is, like how your assets and your liabilities? Do you have your personal financial statements? Are you able to, you know, know like how much money am I spending every month? How much am I going? Is it going out on expenses? How much is going out to service my debts? Um, you know, how, how much debt do I have? How many assets do I have? Like all of these things, if you just get this baseline understanding, a lot of people there, you know, some people might be worse off than they think they are. And that might be, you know, motivation to get their financial life in order. But for a lot of people, it might be just reassuring. It's like, okay, I have a clear picture of where I'm at. And so I don't need to worry so much. I don't need to stress out so much. I have enough. Um, sometimes it's just getting specific about where we are. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's so deep and so important, you know. And on the other hand, especially for the younger generations, is uh, this idea of like, hey, if I spent you know four hours on Instagram every day uh, looking at all these uh, fancy cars and, and nice uh, houses and all of these material things, um, that's the wrong comparison, right? Because then I look so poor and so miserable. My life looks so boring, and I you know, and then I get a wrong relationship. I kind of have this wrong relationship suddenly with money, right? Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I think we can really practically. Um, yeah, just implement those things uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that's that's awesome. Now, last question for you. If you could teach every Adventist in the world uh, one thing uh, about money, what would that be? I, I borrowed this from my friend Ed Reed. I referred to his book, I think, in our previous uh, podcast we did together. Uh, there are only three uses for money, and we need to get this straight. We can spend it on our current needs or wants, we can save it for future needs or wants, or we can give it away. That's it. Those are the three things. And so if we can just sort of master the three things, basically it's spending, right? Saving and giving. That's it. We can simplify our financial things, you know, our, our financial activities into those three things. And to put a little bit more definition on it, live on as little as you need. I think that's my general rule of thumb. Um, there is, uh, I believe, biblical and spirit of prophecy evidence to, to encourage us to shoot, to give 25% or more uh, back to God in his work. So 10% tithe, 15% or more for offerings. Um, again, to toot my own horn a little bit, I talk about this in some of my seminars uh, on Audioverse. And I, I give the you know inspired evidence where I get that. And then save and invest the rest, right? So that's the three steps. Live on as little as you need, give 25% or more, and then save and invest the rest. If you get that down, pretty much the rest of it uh, should fall in, in place pretty well. And really, there is there is one, one thing I, I feel like I need to interject here. We, we're talking about contentment and having a healthy attitude towards money. I think this is an important aspect to, to throw in here. And that is, there really is 
you know, people say money can't buy happiness. Well, to a certain, at a certain degree, you do need some level of money to buy a sense of well-being. Let's call it that. It's not health. It's not happiness, I should say. It's just a sense of well-being. Like you, you have a shelter, you have food on the table, you can provide for your family, you can give, you know, gifts when your friends get married, you know, things like that. But there is a point, a threshold over which money has no more utilitarian value. Like it, it goes up after that, like every incremental dollar you earn, like it, it doesn't move the needle. But lower up, down on the spectrum, it can move the needle a lot. Like for some, some of us, you know, if we're earning a little bit less, having an extra $100 a month could make a huge difference. Um, and that number gradually gets lower and lower the higher up you go in the income level. So I think that's also something to keep in mind is that, you know, that that cutoff point, there's some research in the United States, they say it's roughly $75,000, I think. Um, this was a few years ago. So with inflation, it might be more than that now. Uh, but it's going to vary depending on where you live, your the culture of the place where you live, uh, the circumstances, the size of your family, you know, like their, your health condition, like there are lots of variables. So there is no one number for everybody. But there is a number for all of us where after a certain point, any more material wealth isn't going to incrementally improve our standard of living. It's not going to change anything. It's largely just going to be, you know, a scorecard for whatever. So that's the point in which God's work could really use the means uh, because that is where we're going to advance, you know, make the biggest impact on the future of the world and really the universe, if you want to think of it that way. I just want to ask you something because you were talking about that 25% um, or just the idea of giving and giving more and more. Um, I, I assume that you have started to do that on a personal, uh, just with your family, you know, to trying to give more away. How does that make you feel? How, what What changes in your life once you actually enjoy giving back to the Lord and also to the people around you. Yeah, it really changes your perspective. Um, you're no longer just a taker. I mean, that sounds terrible, but you're not the one soliciting donations anymore. I work for Audioverse, you know, we're nonprofits, so we solicit for donations. But to experience being a donor on the other side is very fulfilling. And there is a blessing to be partners with God in His work. And it's still, it's the Malachi uh three promise right bring ye the tithes and you know offerings to the storehouse see if i won't open the windows of heaven pour out my blessings you might not have a place to receive it and that's really the case and again this is not a prosperity gospel it is taking god at his word right it's not that he's going to give us a lamborghini but he will work in little distinct ways that shows us i am taking care of you because you are being faithful to me like we are in this covenant relationship we're fulfilling you know, his conditions to receive the promise he's given us in Malachi. So I think it really does make a big difference uh, for us spiritually. And one of the things that I often think about, again, I use, I use a health analogy a lot. Charity and generosity is like a muscle. You have to exercise it. It's like faith. You have to exercise it. The more you use it, the stronger you get. And we understand as Adventists that there is going to be a point in time in which there's no buying or selling. There's a time in which we ought to sacrifice everything, sell everything, put it into God's work because Jesus is coming. If we aren't able to give God 10%, 15%, 20%, 25% now, how are we going to give 
right? It's like, if I can't lift 10 pounds now, how am I going to lift 100 pounds later?、Um, it's, it's a similar concept. Like, we need to train ourselves. It becomes a habit, it becomes instinctive, and it becomes natural. Like, we don't have to think, right? Like, get to a point where when God calls us to go, or like Abraham did, or to give,、um, you know, everything, like the rich young ruler, he, did, he failed the test, but we don't want to fail the test, right? So, that is.、Um, That's part of it too. It's, it's training ourselves today to get in the habit of giving、uh, sacrificially. And it is such a wonderful feeling when you are just giving away something that actually never belonged to you. You know, we know that the Bible says that God owns, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. And it's just so beautiful to know that there are people who are in need of this much more than,、uh, than we are. We want to give back. We want to give and give to just、um, receive the joy and all the, the blessings of character, if I can call it like that, that God has in store for us.、Uh, thank you so much, Alistair, for sharing、uh, such important points on the topic of money and uh, much more. And uh, uh, really, really thank you for,、uh, for inspiring us with your ministry. 